Becky, you can be sitting. Well, good morning. There's nothing like uh, your battery dying right as you're getting ready to step up. So I hope you've had a good weekend. I hope you have uh, enjoyed the rain yesterday. I know that we needed it. My weeds needed it. So uh, I guess I'll have to mow for the second time this year, sometime this coming week. So uh, you know how that story goes. But So I just want to remind you real quick of what we've been mentioning here the last uh, couple of weeks, and that is that a week from tomorrow is going to be our dinner that we're providing over at the Genesis House at UALR, and so that's our campus ministry, uh, Church of Christ-sponsored campus ministry, and so we're going to go over there, we're going to do a cookout for them uh, out in the yard of the, the campus house, and so if you would like to go and participate and, and just be there to, to visit with and um, just share a, a time with these young people, uh, we're going to be over there. The meal starts at 5, and so I'll probably be there by 4. But if you if you want to go, we can take the church van. And so uh, just talk to me and be glad to, to provide a carpool over there. Uh, or if you want to come and, and stay a minimal amount of time, whatever time you would spend would be welcome. And I think you would be blessed, and you would bless these young people as they are uh, in these anxious first days of a new semester. Some of them, their first time in college. Some of them, their first time in the United States. And so UALR is a very diverse campus, bringing students from all over the world. And many of them are touched by the churches of Christ through this campus ministry. And so I would encourage you, if you are able to, uh, to go and, and just spend a moment and experience this and, and share uh, just a, a word and, and just some encouragement to these young people. So that's a week from tomorrow. So the boys and I ran a 5K race last weekend. It's always confusing because Sunday's the first day of the week, right? But here in America, it's the weekend. So I'm talking about a week ago Saturday. So we did this 5K race, and we've done several of them before, sharing that together, 5Ks, 10Ks. 5Ks is like 3.1 miles. But this one was different because it was at night, and so it was called a glow run. And so we had all these, uh, you know, little glow-in-the-dark necklaces and bracelets, and so everybody was wearing those, and it was a pretty neat deal. And so a little bit different, and the, it was cool because the finisher medals glowed in the dark. And so I'm, I'm all about the finisher medal. I'm all about the, the bling, right? And so what do you get for doing the race? And that's, that's a lot of my motivation. But here's the deal. Here's what I realized. The distance then I am able to go. And I've been, I've been running, and I do air quotes, right? I've been running now for probably four years or so. But the distance that I'm able to run now, before I have to stop and walk, that distance is getting shorter. And so I'm, I'm having to stop a little more. And here's why. Because I'm not training every day. When I first got into running, I was training every day, man. I was out there doing something every day to become a better runner. Running is as much mental endurance as it is physical endurance. You have to train your brain because the more you run, the better you get at quieting that voice in your head that says, why don't you just stop? You don't have to do, nobody's chasing you. You don't have to do this. 
And so there's a voice that you're trying to, to, to fight and to push against the whole time. And so nothing that will help you run better than getting out there and running. If you want to be a better runner, you've got to get out there and run. You have to do it and you have to be consistent about it. And I got a lot of medals on my wall, and these are not first, second, third place medals. When you pay your money to do a race, you get a cool t shirt, and if you cross the finish line sometime in, within that year, <laughs> you get a finisher medal. So I got medals, just to, some of them are mostly just for memories. It reminds me of what I went through, <laughs> you know, or who I went through it with, and so we've got those, but none of that is going to make me a better runner. I got some pretty cool running shoes. They're very comfortable. They're in my closet today, but they're not going to make me a better runner. If you want to be a better runner, you have to run. You have to run. If you want to sit, then sit. But you're not a runner. You're not a runner if you're sitting. If you want to walk, and you can walk in the races, then walk. But you're not a runner, right? If you want to be stronger, if you want to be better as a runner, then you have to run. And you have to do it on a consistent and deliberate basis. And so training is of utmost importance if you want to be better at anything. You train for it. So we've been in a series called Kingdom Come. And and, and training is really a big deal in the Christian life, in, in following Christ, because it's through daily training that we become more like Christ. And so this is a different way of living because you cannot live one way and call it something else. You cannot live by your own rules and call that obedience to God. You cannot sit on the couch of apathy and call that being on fire for Jesus. And you can scarcely get up one morning and decide, I'm going to run a marathon today. That's 26.2 miles, by the way. To do that, you have to train. And you train by gradually adding more distance to your running schedule. And so Jesus shows us that life is this compilation, it's a cumulative effect. It's adding one day to the next, one decision to the next, one moment to the next. There's this layering effect that what you did yesterday is going to impact today, and what you do today is going to impact tomorrow. Scripture puts it this way in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. It says, Do not be deceived. God will not be made a fool. For a person will reap what he sows. Because the person who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So when we think of sowing and reaping, we say things like, Oh, you're going to reap what you sow. And a lot of times we'll use that in a negative way. But, but reaping what you sow is not just negative, it's also positive. If what you're sowing is positive stuff. Jesus calls this different kind of life kingdom living. Living in God's kingdom. But He needs us to know you cannot simply proclaim that you are living by the teachings of Jesus. I can't just, hey, I'm living by Jesus' way. That didn't make me living by Jesus' way. Just because I said that, you can't pronounce yourself a kingdom citizen. Because everyone who wants to bear the name of Jesus must do the will of Jesus. And so he says in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's like, wow, when you read this. He says, only. Not every. He doesn't say everyone. He says, only the one who does this. And a couple of weeks ago, we heard Jesus tell that there are two paths. Two paths through life. And one of them is broad. One of them is wide. One of them you plot your own course. You can go anywhere you want to go. Swerve all over the place. It's your choice, your decision. And most people are going to choose that way. Only that way leads to eternal death. But the narrow way, the narrow path, is harder to follow because it has boundaries. It has limits. It has barriers Yet it leads, it results in eternal life. One way, you can ignore, you can reject the teaching of Jesus. The other way, you accept and you follow Jesus' teaching. 7 verse 22, On that day, many will say to Me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in Your name and and in Your name cast out demons and do many powerful deeds? And then I will declare to them, I never knew You. Go away from me, you lawbreakers. And it wasn't just in New Testament times that people failed to to walk the talk. Several of the prophets carried this message from God warning the people about only giving lip service to their obedience, to their loyalty to Him. And through Isaiah, the the Lord said through the prophet, these people, they honor me with their lips. Oh, their words sound good, but their heart is far from me. But wait, Lord, I I was there every time the doors were open. I was there. I volunteered. I was involved in stuff. I was, man, you you asked me to do it, and I was doing it. The work of the church there. I gave money. I visited the sick. I participated in activities. What do you mean you never knew me? How can you say you never knew me? And these are good things. These are scriptural things to do. How, How can Jesus not know me? I followed Him for a very long time. How can He say He doesn't know me? Jesus says, I never knew you. And this word knew, or to know, it's about relationship, not knowledge. It's not heard about someone, but knows them, can relate to them in the deepest, most personal way. And so it's not about your lips. It's about your life. And so to describe those who've been doing these good things in the name of Jesus, he describes them as lawbreakers. That's extraordinary to me. These people have been doing all these good things in the name of Jesus, and Jesus says, you're lawbreakers. And so the implication is that beneath this shiny exterior, beneath this wonderful display of Christian accomplishments, is this life that's fundamentally opposed to the will of God. Because down deep inside... I am set. I am bent. I am digging in on doing what I want to do my way. And so this isn't a total rejecting of the commandments here, but it's this ethical failure to live by them. It's willfully sinning when we know better and not caring as long as someone doesn't find out. And so that's a lot wrapped up in this term lawbreaker, right? You will reap what you sow. The harvest that you gather is going to be whatever you plant. Which also means everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. 
And the rain fell, and the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, but it did not collapse because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, and it collapsed, and it was utterly destroyed. Or great was its fall. You think about your life. Did you know there are five million American adults who flush down the toilet every year? 1.8 billion, that's B billion dollars on unused gym memberships. You know this? Why would they do this? Because treadmills become clothes racks or you have stationary bicycles that become eyesores or things to to stub your toe on as you walk across the room. Low-carb cookbooks get pushed to the back of the cabinet. Why do we do this? Because I feel healthier when I have that stuff around me. I feel healthier when I'm around church people. It makes me feel good. To have that in my presence. You feel like you've made progress even though you're not doing anything with it. I got two sheets of plywood, a couple of two by fours. I got tools to, to measure and to cut with. And I got big ideas. And it's all sitting in my garage waiting for me to do something with it. Just stacked up there against the wall. But the funny thing is, when I bought those materials, I felt like I'd done something. I felt real good about myself. I'm a carpenter. You know, look at the stuff I've got. So whether it's a treadmill or it's wood scraps or it's installing a new double oven, you know, in order for something to change, you have to apply them. You have to do something with it. So we can convince ourselves that that sitting in a Bible class or listening to a sermon or or just learning some information, that, that, that that's going to change my life. I can convince myself of that. It's like if, if, if God sees us sitting here today, then tomorrow, man, He's going to make every light green for us on our way to work. We're not going to have to stop for any traffic. Because God, God saw what I did. Saw what I did there. See, there's a wrong way of thinking that if we go to a building and we just listen to some information, then we're actually getting better. As long as we hear it, we're getting better. Who goes to the doctor because of health issues? You go to the doctor. Hear the doctor give the diagnosis and and offer treatment that will make you better and then leave there and say, well, that's some fine doctrine. They did did some fine doctrine there. Man, goodness, I could listen to that woman speak about germs all day. Nobody does that. I even heard some ways that I could change my lifestyle, I could increase my health, and I could make life more enjoyable and more worth living. Man, it would even extend my life. (laughs) But I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And you know who gets this? You know who, who understands this concept? It's the people that aren't here today. I don't mean people that are sick, people that are out of town. I mean people that don't go to church. They get this. That waitress that's going to attend to you today when you go to lunch, she gets it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will. She knows what that looks like. Or that young man who's ringing you up at the checkout, or maybe that neighbor who interacts with you during the week. The co-worker that visits with you in the hallway, they, they get this. They, they see our church shirts. They see our bumper stickers. They see our yard signs. And then they hear us talking. And then they see us acting just like everyone else. And sometimes even worse. See, it's not the information. It's the application. You think about a couple of years ago, 2018. That was... That was a rough year. Yeah, there was so much stuff going on. So much worse than this year, right? You had racism on the front of every page. You had Me Too rippling through communities. You had school shootings. But you know what the number one selling book was two years ago? The same one as this year. It's the Bible. It's the Bible. It doesn't matter what the headlines say. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world around us. People are buying the Bible. They are getting their hands on the Bible. Would you know what that says? The Bible does not change your life. What did he say? <laughs> the Bible does not change your life. It's the application of the Bible, guided by God's Holy Spirit. That's what changes our lives. And we can be really good at loving God with our mind. We, we may think, we, we study, we memorize, we quote stuff. Man, I can proof text. I can prove any point. out. We underline, we highlight. Man, we got all kinds of notebooks we take notes in. We got, you know, all these things that we're just absorbing this stuff. And we may speak where the Bible speaks. And we may remain silent where the Bible is silent. But is the proof of our faith no more than just a few select passages? Is that what proves our faith? We use those to fend off those who have a differing opinion. We are embodied people. And our Lord describes us as His body. We are His body. And how we spend our days is ultimately the kind of, of Christian, the kind of man, the kind of woman, the type of body that we're becoming. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the flood came and the winds beat against that house, but it did not collapse because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, and it collapsed. It was utterly destroyed. And Jesus knows we've we got to have this repetition. We need repeating to remind us to, to adhere to His teaching. We're creatures of habit. We're also forgetful people. Good habits lead to good lifestyle. It's not practice that makes perfect. It's perfect practice that makes perfect. So meeting together is a good habit to have. And we come together with the saints. Jesus knew this. We just, a moment ago, around the table, we gathered again, just like we did last week and the week before. And when I was four years old, I remember saints gathering around the table just like that. And Jesus knew this. He took bread and He took a cup and He said, as often 
as you eat and drink this, you remember me. And from the very beginning, Christians have done this practice every week from the birth of the church. Every week to practice, to act, and to obey. Habit. It wasn't always that way. There, there were folks who, who kind of got it messed up. Church in Corinth, Paul had to deal with them. Right? And so they, they had attitudes and actions that would declare that they were not Christians when they're going around saying we are Christian. Their lives proved otherwise. They were abusing the privilege of the kingdom. And so Paul's harsh against these folks. 1 Corinthians 11. Harsh against especially those who were rich. Those who furnished this supper for everyone to partake of. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. For this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. A person should examine himself first. And in this way, let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks without careful regard for the body eats and drinks judgment against himself. And when we read this, sometimes we tend to think that, that Paul is talking about disregarding the body of Christ as he's hanging on the cross, as we're remembering his death and his, his burial and his resurrection. And we should be doing that. We should, our minds should go to the cross and the sacrifice and the tomb and the resurrection. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. In this context, he's pointing to those who would call themselves Christians and are coming to the church house together and they're shaming those who are not able to provide the meal for themselves. They're shaming those who came in late, those who were poor, the servants, the ones who were tending to their homes and locking things up before they made their way to the church. And by the time they got there, the supper was gone. And so those who have the resources to be able to eat and to drink, they're the ones who are just going on helping themselves. And Paul says, if you're doing this, you are not Christian. You are not of Christ. So you have a relationship with the supper, but you don't have a relationship with the Lord of the supper. So Paul flat out tells them, your training, your, your, your doing is more harm than good. Because if you think that's how Jesus would treat the body, then you don't know Jesus. And when Paul talks about discerning or considering one another, considering the body of Christ, he's talking about us because we are the body of Christ. So we care for one another and we help each other in times of need. We build up one another. And it's not just a ritual. Look at how Paul ends this. So then, my brothers... And sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you assemble, it does not lead to judgment. I will give directions about other matters when I come. And so this takes practice. It takes doing. It takes showing up. It takes being present in the moment, paying attention to one another. And why is this important to Jesus? Because information is not the goal. His goal is to not get us to learn more things. Jesus' goal is to get us to be more like Him. It's transforming us. A lot of people have information about Jesus, but they have no relationship with Jesus. And if Christianity ends at information, then why am I giving myself 
to something that I can get simply from a book. Any book I can get information from. When you look back in the life of those who are lifted up for us out of Scripture, you don't read about what they know. You read about what they did. They had to know something in order to do, but it didn't stop at knowing. They put it into practice. These examples of faith were held up by what they did. By faith, Noah built. By faith, something was done. What was done? Something God wanted them to do. Well, what did they know? They knew they needed to do something. And when we meet Jesus face to face, He's not going to say, well-known, good and faithful servant. Well-remembered, good and faithful servant. What does the Scripture say? Jesus will say, well done. Well done. There's one way that leads to death and one way that leads to life. And everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and does them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, but it did not collapse because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, and it collapsed, and it was utterly destroyed. hard. That's harsh. That's like, that's like angry Jesus, isn't it? Depends on how you're listening to it. It is hard. And it is harsh because it matters. It makes a difference. And Jesus has not held back from us the challenge that exists in following Him. And that's why He gave us His Spirit. His Spirit comforts us strengthens us, reminds us of His teaching and of why it's important to follow Him. We do what Jesus has instructed us to do. We live as He has shown us to live. When? Every day. Every season. And when the storms come and the, 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 the heaviness of, of life, the storms of Satan, the trials of Satan beat down on us from all sides, we're able to withstand it because we've been practicing. We've been preparing every day, each and every day. But for a fair-weather Christian, those who live by the name of Christ, but not in the name of Christ, when the going gets tough, they're going to crumble and their hope is going to faint. And it will be utterly destroyed. Edward Moat was born in poverty in London, and his parents owned, a, they were innkeepers, and they owned an inn, and so they forbade, <laughs> forbidden him to, to, to have the Bible, anybody to have the Bible in their house. It's almost like you would come in and take your shoes off, they would have check your Bibles at the door. And so Edward somehow learned of the gospel along the way into his teens, and because of his newfound faith, he was inspired to write poetry, and so he wrote many poems. And so one day he was visiting with a man who, who, who shared with him that his wife was very ill. 
And he told Edward, he said, you know, we have this tradition, this, this kind of ritual that we go through where we, we sing hymn together and then we read Scripture together. He said, but the problem is I can't find my hymn book. And Edward, remembering that he had some poetry of his in his pocket, he pulled one out and he said, I have a poem here that I would like to share with you that, that we can use to, to, as your hymn today to sing to her. And so he pulled that out and the man agreed... And although I don't know what the hymn was, the, 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 the tune that they made up on the spot in that moment, we do know what the current tune attached to this poem is because we sang it earlier. And his words to his poem are, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. It's on Christ. The solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And I love how he phrased this, my hope is built. Because building is a process. Building takes time. It takes repetition. It takes practice. It takes training. It's a daily commitment. Sometimes it's even an hourly commitment. A moment by moment commitment to walk that narrow path. And we have to sweat through the spiritual work. If we're going to do the will of our Father in Heaven. And when you do, and as you do, you realize all the more just how solid this rock of foundation is on which we place our faith. You will reap what you sow. And one day that's either going to be frightful regret or it's going to be fantastic realization. And when you are in Christ, what we have to look forward to, our, our sight is set on that fantastic realization, the promise of God. And so Scripture is clear that we're not saved by how much we do. And we're not saved by how good, how well we can please God. We are saved by how much Christ did to accomplish the will of God. And yet we still have to be able to say, you show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. That's kingdom living. That's putting into practice the teaching of Jesus. So this morning, what are you living for? What have you set your side on? What walk are you walking is it the same walk that Christ walked? If you're professing His name, it must be. Or else that's called hypocrisy. And Jesus calls that out all over the New Testament. That's the whitewashed tomb that He mentioned when He called out the Pharisees. They looked good on the outside, but in their heart, they'd made the decision that they're going to do what they want to do and not what God or Christ has asked them to do. And sometimes we can fall into that trap. We can fall into that trap. Sometimes it's not a willful decision. Sometimes it's a catching up to ourselves. Oh man, I just, just let myself go and did that. God created us. His hands formed us. He knew us when we were in our mother's womb. He knows humanity and our frailty and our ill-fated attempts to rescue ourselves. That's why He sent His Son. And through His Son, made a way possible 
for us to have relationship with Him. And when we do fall short, He offers us forgiveness through and by His Son. And this morning, perhaps you need forgiveness for the walk you've been walking. Maybe you've been running wild on the broad way. And Christ calls you back to the narrow way. His way. Perhaps this morning you are ready to become a child of God. To be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. To receive the gift of God's Spirit. And to be pronounced beloved child by God our Father. And know that the key to His kingdom has been given to you through His Son. This morning, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. If He can help you in any way in your walk with God. Will you come as we stand and sing?